Hey, it's Jen the Builder. And Corey. Welcome to Take the Elevator, our last episode on Wednesday for the month of April, where we've been talking about all the things regarding autism awareness into autism acceptance. And what a wonderful educational opportunity we have had doing this, just to learn and take it all in. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So special thank you first to Stephen Camp, who is a dear friend of ours. We will post his business information on Jen the Builder and on my uh, Instagram. He does amazing ABA therapy for kiddos with autism. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also Jessica Reedy, who is an author and a wonderful mom of three children. Two of them have autism. Yes. And just sharing her perspective from a parent's point of view and speaking on behalf of her children and being an advocate for them. And she continues to grow in that community and use her voice. It's been wonderful. Speaking loudly and boldly. And by the way, thanks, Stephen, for the friend request on Facebook. (laughs) Every day. Okay, we've taken a break from Would You Rather for a little bit, but let's bring it on today. All right. I'm in the mood, uh, the need for speed Um. and all that stuff. (laughs) (laughs) All right, so let's pick a number. I'm going to pick a number because I just said need for speed. Do you remember when the speed limit on the freeway was 55 miles an hour? Yes, I do. Okay. How annoying. Yeah. And so, yeah, I'm carrying it on from Monday about how Jen is recalling things from the past and what they are now. Absolutely. 55 miles an hour. And what is it now? 70. Yeah. In some places. Yeah. I mean, I think we go a little over 70, but let's go with 70 then. Mm-hmm. Shall we? So the number 70 in this book says, would you rather abolish war or find a cure for every type of cancer? Dun, dun, wow, that, dun. that's a transition for I, us, isn't it? I can it? do this, though. This, no? This, no, I can do oh, this. Oh, you can. Okay. Yeah, I, I, this is a realistic situation. Okay. For me, I, I toy with this idea from mm-hmm. time to time. Now, I think that we could already possibly have some cures to cancer. I don't know if we're going to be allowed to administer them, but I think there's definitely some cures to that. That's not my uh, what I would rather do. What I would rather do is abolish all war. I think war is something that is necessary in extreme situations. But for the most part, I can honestly say that the, the majority of wars that I've heard about and know about, pointless and could have been avoided. If you just have to have a fight or a war, whoever's in charge, let them fight it out. I guarantee you it wouldn't be that many wars because they don't want to fight. So that's my answer. And Corey speaks. Oh, my. And I'm going to leave it at that because this is just too much of a transition for me. (laughs) (laughs) But thanks for sharing your thoughts. Absolutely. Very, very insightful. Well, when we come back, we're just going to start off right where we left off with Yessie from last week. Yeah. And she's just given us some really good tidbits to have insight on her life and some insight on her children's life. Now we can't see it exactly how they see it, but we can see it how she sees it and how she's dealing with it from her point of view, which I really, really appreciate. And I think where we're going to pick up is where she's explaining 
how the process happened when she found out that the children were diagnosed or at least one of her children were diagnosed with with autism. So that's going to be really good. So pay attention and listen up. Every day, elevate. Every day. So we went to lunch and we um, came back for the actual IEP. And I brought my ex-husband and my youngest son, who was, he was under three at the time. And um, we went to town for this IEP. And it's the um, individualized educational plan, which is it's a contract between parents, schools, and, and the school district. And it's an agreement where you decide what the child's needs are so that they can succeed in the classroom. You set goals. The contract is how the school will support you in getting those goals met so that they can continue their education and go on to the next level. So we came back and we're sitting down and they said, hey, have you ever heard of autism? And I'm like, no, no, I don't watch the news. And they're like, oh, you would have seen it on the news. And, and they're going into how I should know about this thing that I did not know about. And it was ridiculous because I was like, get to the point. What does this have to do with it? And that's when I was told that my son was on the autism spectrum. They called it a spectrum. I've since learned that now the phrasing is either you're autistic or you're not autistic. There's no in-between because it's dismissive. It creates a hierarchy of who's worse and who's better. So we don't use on the spectrum. We just say they're autistic or not autistic. But I was told my child's on the spectrum. And as they're going over the different behaviors and characteristics that he is exhibiting during their psych exam, I was like, but my other kid does the exact same thing. They're normal. <laughs> this is this is not what I'm seeing. And they're like, actually, in our professional opinion, your your youngest son is more severe on the spectrum than your older son is. But at the time, because he was under three, he could not get a diagnosis because the behaviors of a child under the age of three are very much like a child with autism, period. And they can't give a diagnosis before that age because there is the possibility of misnaming or misdiagnosing. So that was a day of shock. That was a day of, oh no, what does this mean? There's a time bomb in the house. Not realizing that I had the same kid I did like three hours earlier and we were fine just then. He just wasn't right. talking. It was a diagnosis that was scary. But as they got older, I realized, oh no, now I have a reason for why this is different from other parents. Mm -hmm. Now I have a reason. And it was a reason that brought both relief and anger or frustration, which might have been tied to grief and honesty. But it was like we'd be out in public and my kid would be in the middle of a meltdown because they were having a sensory integration dysfunction meltdown, meaning he was overwhelmed and his body was screaming in so many different directions that his only recourse was to fall on the ground and start crying and screaming and mm -hmm. being upset. And I'd have strangers that would say, you just need to spank your child or because everyone and their mother wants to mother your child that they have nothing to do with because right. they think that they're, <laughs> um, it's a thing. <laughs> and, and I say, no, this child is autistic. You need to chill out. This, you know, step back. This is not your child. It always left me feeling broken and shamed. Let, and me, let me jump in here real quick, Jesse, because you, you mentioned a lot of things that I'm sure... <laughs> parents of these kind of children are experiencing. So my, my first question, I know Jen had a question too, but did this immediately begin to tear and pull at the family structure or did it immediately begin to bring everyone closer? Wow. That's a loaded question. And let me help you unpack that. It didn't tear at the family structure because 
my family wasn't as connected in that way. There was a lot of isolation in, in the family where the, my ex-husband was constantly working and I was the one that was always at home. Like he had several jobs that I never saw him. So he would come in and see the kids for a bit and go to work. And it was me that was home. And I didn't have a network of support in this way. So it didn't break down the family structure. It broke down the mother. Mm. It broke down the mother. Um, I think it's important to remember that with any child, every child. So the moment of their birth, their goal is to live independently. And the parent's goal is to support them in that, in a way that they can live independently. That's why when a child is born and they're hungry and they start crying because they're hungry, it's because they don't have that automatic nutrition from the umbilical cord. They're learning how to communicate that need. And eventually they want to go out and find their own food. So when your toddler is now tearing up your kitchen looking for food, <laughs> this is them trying to be independent. Right. But my kids were also seeking out sensory information to make them feel better and self-soothe. And so it wasn't just let me go find food. It was let me make this mess, not because it's a mess, but because it feels good. The fact that I had so many more opportunities for disaster <laughs> than the average parent made me feel like I was doing everything wrong. Mm. It made me feel like I did not know what I was doing. Like I could not keep up with my kid. Because, you know, typically kids, they have a messy diaper. They will cry. They'll want to be changed. They'll take it off, what have you. No, my kids were quiet when they had a poopy diaper. They would stick their hand in it and play with their feces. They would taste their feces. This is very typical for a lot of autism families because it's, again, sensory information that they're seeking and it's self-made and they can sit there quietly and soothe themselves. I never knew that part of it. Wow. Because nobody talks about right. that part of it. How embarrassing is it that this is what your kids did? But clearly my kids have grown out of it. It right. didn't take long for them to grow out of it. But it was extremely distressing to go through that. You talk to other parents that don't have kids with autism and there's shock. There's, oh my God, I can't believe you've done this. And you've lived through this. And you talk to other autism parents and yeah, it's part of life and we move on. They're bigger fish. You know what I mean? yeah. <laughs> Imagine that saying they're bigger fish than your child eating his own feces. So that's interesting because the last episode you were on, yes, you, which was last week's, we mentioned how there's differences, but there are a lot of similarities. So clearly I'm going to state here that we <laughs> as parents have struggles with our children, but you as a parent of children with autism there aren't similarities. I can't say that I've experienced that with my children, that story you just shared. We just celebrated uh, Tell a Story Day and have a poem in your pocket. And I asked you before we recorded, hey, do you have a couple of co poems that you'd like to share on the podcast? You have two. And if you don't mind, we'll just go over them. But the first one yeah. is the one about sensory overload. Can you share that one and then maybe talk after how it speaks to you and the truth in it or some of the things that you didn't um, associate mm -hmm. with? Absolutely. So this one is called Sensory Overload by Maddie Angel. And it says, to cover my ears and block out the world, to rock it so gently away, to shut my eyes and pretend I'm elsewhere, to hum so there's nothing left, to bang my head so the confusion is gone, to curl up so I feel safe and warm, to hide under blankets so I can feel hugged, to be without words so alone and lost, to have my body not do what I want, to cry loudly 
so I can let it all out. To be overloaded, so scared and afraid. To be frustrated, no one understands my pain. I honestly identified with every part of that. That was the early years with my kids. Mm-hmm. There was a lot of sensory overload because I didn't understand how sensitive they were to the world around us. My, my middle son, when he was little, I remember pushing them through the mall, Window Galleria. He was in his double stroller and sitting in the, in the double stroller with his hands over his ears, rocking gently because he was so overwhelmed with the echoing sounds of people walking through the mall. And it wasn't that crowded. We had taken the kids to Magic Mountain and the roller coaster rides going and, and the people around them and the smells of all the different food, that was overwhelming. It's the sensitivity. There's like, if I had clothes for my kids where there's a tag that was on the clothes, the clothes tag, it would drive them nuts. I had to cut them out. There was, I actually wrote about this in my book. There's a gene would drive my kids nuts. And all I wanted was my kids to wear a pair of jeans. They lived in sweatpants. In fact, to this day, my, my middle son will only wear sweatpants or shorts that don't have, that have a stretchy waist. What I did was, cause I was that person that said, no, I want my kid to be fashionable. Who needs to wear jeans? I took a pair of jeans and then took a pair of sweatpants and I cut them so that the waistband could be sweatpants and the bottom could be jeans. And I sewed them together. And I was so proud of myself for making him a pair of sensory-friendly jeans. And then I realized I needed to chill out. It does not matter what my kid is wearing as long as he's comfortable and happy. There's there's so much that goes into functioning and getting through the day when your senses are yelling at you from all directions. Think of Superman. There's that movie, that Superman movie, where he's a kid and he locks himself in the closet because he could hear everything. He could see everything. And he was overwhelmed with all the information coming into him. And that is my children. Wow. I'm going to say this, you know, as a child, I remember that feeling of the tag scratching the back of my neck or the feeling of the jeans not fitting right and and poking you in certain areas. And we as people that feel like, you know, we're trying to take on these uncomfortable situations, we're forced to accept it and deal with it. But when you realize that someone can't handle that and then they begin to display this in these different ways, it must be nerve wracking to be in that situation to have something so irritating, so annoying to you that you have to just let it out somehow. So, I mean, in one way you you have to commend them for, for even being able to express it somehow, because imagine not being able to express it or being forced to get used to that, you know? Yeah. The poem, you see, that you read us, I was just really pensive and just taking it in because I'd never heard, you know, it'd be very descriptive, the behavior, behaviors that we see, the way they react and how they cope and then the explanation of it. That right there for me, let me tell you, true story, the month of April, I was like, I don't want to just learn about autism I want to be able to speak to not just me, but to our listeners about the acceptance of it. And for me, that poem really, I don't want to say it sealed the deal or it was just eye-opening to hear the why. It brought it home for me. Yeah, right? Yeah. And the experiences you're sharing 
um, and just being so candid about it and, and what your family has gone through and the things we take for granted. So the way I see it, I guess, is I'm able to deal with the things that I'm sensing. I can have, I can like close it. I can choose to not, I can choose to, okay, if that's bugging me, I'm just going to switch it up and then move on. So for people with autism, it's just all these senses hitting them. There's no control over them. Is that what we're saying? So when my children went to school, Mm -hmm. the school's function was to teach them to function in the classroom. And this led to what we call masking. So masking means they would silence the impulses in their body to the point where they could seem like they're being normal. So even if these things are always still bothering them, they behave in a way that no one can tell. They behave in a way that makes them look neurotypical, even if their body is screaming, this is not okay. This always led to them having a wonderful day at school and their teacher so proud of them and then coming home and completely falling apart. Yeah, I was just about to say that. That that seems disastrous for me for the home because you can pretend like it's all good, you know, for Mm. six or seven hours. But at that breaking point where it's like, I can't take this anymore. I would have a meltdown. I feel like I would go, you know, a little bit off the wall if if I'm forced to pretend like something's not right. So how does that eventually pan out to work for the betterment of of the child, Jesse? It it doesn't. I'm I'm learning. I'm learning a lot. It's how can I make sure that you're comfortable within your body so that you're not going to have a meltdown in the store. I learned with my kids, if I made sure that they were not hungry and that they were not tired, and I made sure that their sensory needs were met while we were in the store, like having soundproof headphones on, like you can get those soundproof ones at Home Depot to protect their hearing or give them something to play with or fidget with while we're in the store. They were perfectly behavioral angels. And what we've learned is if there are immediate needs, and this is something I learned through their school because they transitioned from a public school to a non-public school that just works with kids with autism. So having people in the classroom that understand their needs and meet those needs and allow them the special spaces to, you need a meltdown, go have a meltdown. We're here when you're ready. You need to, to self-soothe, self-soothe. You need to change pace, change track and, and readjust your pace and do that. And then they get back to that. My oldest son, I, it's amazing because he's done this through my separation, divorce, all the chaos that I've lived through, managed at this school to graduate as class valedictorian. Wow. How impressive. It's to have the support they need mm-hmm. to just do what they're asked to do, mm-hmm. then they will surprise you. So, yeah, see, this leads to a beautiful intro to the second poem you shared with me because you and Corey were talking about masking. And I love, I can't speak the way you do because I don't live in your world. But when you said, if you need to pace yourself, then pace yourself. If you need to do this, and you talked about all the accommodations and really root cause, like why are you behaving that way? Well, it's sensory overload. So let's fix that with sound reducing you know, headphones. And so there's these things that people with autism do. And we're saying we accept them for what they are and how they behave and figure that piece out. So you sent a poem about stimming. And so before you read it, can you describe what stimming is? So stimming is a form of self-soothing. Again, with the sensory information that's being overloaded, 
stimming allows them to calm down. Um, okay. One of the things that was said in the other poem was was that the child would, would hit their bang their head mm-hmm. to end the confusion. My middle son, actually both kids did this, but my middle son had a behavior that every time, sorry, not behavior, speech therapist, we love her, she was amazing, she'd leave the house, and when she left, he would be so upset by this that he would run face first and slam his forehead into the door, and then he would hit the back of his head on the floor every single time. And there are things that if it had gotten before that level, if I had known how to interact before it got to that, if I had known how stimming would support him, I, I probably would have been better at this, but I was mm. learning. Mm. <laughs> but stimming is things like like tapping the fingers. My boys walk all of them. They still walk on tiptoes. Um, it's slapping the hands. It's spinning in circles. My, I was just talking to my, my aunt, or she um, was reminding me last night how she would hold the kids and they would just stare at the ceiling fan that was spinning, and that was soothing. It's chewing on things. They have chewies that you can, like, chew toys for people that you can buy on Amazon, and it can help them with chewing. My kids would come home, and their T-shirts would be chewed through because they were sitting and chewing on their T-shirts all day in class. It's spinning. It's bouncing. It's rocking. It's swinging. It's flicking their fingers. They call it self-harm, but basically they're slapping and, and hitting themselves. and They'll have to have a band wrapped around their arms to keep them safe. Whenever I went to my kids' school and I saw all these kids swimming, it was the happiest moment for me because it reminded me of my kids when they were younger and they were carefree and they didn't have the weight of the world on them to behave a certain way. Swimming is not supposed to be disturbing. Swimming for me is it's joy. So the poem by Heather Clark, found it online. <laughs> And it's called Sim As You Please. Tiptoe tightrope, jump for joy. Slap your happy hands. Turn upside down your toys. Spin and circle. Stare at the light. Echo, echo, echo. All throughout the night. Flip your fingers. Bounce your knees. Swing your body. Sing your body. Sim as you please. I, I can definitely tell that that was written for a specific population. Um, mm-hmm. a lot of people don't know this, but I worked with that population for probably about three years. And so the behaviors that you're talking about, I seen them firsthand and I'm very <laughs> much aware of what goes on in the school setting. And I was fortunate to be in, um, a non-public school system that allowed for stemming. Mm. And so yeah. they weren't trying to redirect that activity okay. d- throughout the day. There was, and they had time to do that. They were given breaks and and opportunities to to get that out of their system, so to speak. And I know mm-hmm. sometimes it doesn't come out of their system. Sometimes they, they just need to keep going. Yeah, I can definitely identify with that poem. And thank you, thank you, thank you for sharing this story and this experience with us so that we can be better educated and learn how to accept this. It goes with our theme of how we ended Monday's episode, and it was being a better me. Mm-hmm. And yes, see, I just want to let you know that the things that you've shared with us and it's just opened my mind to learn. It's not, it's more than accepting. There's a joy that I'm experiencing because I'm starting to understand. Right. My, well, my mom taught me that there are no bad kids. Right. Uh, there's yeah, some parents that te- teach kids bad behaviors. Mm-hmm. But there are no bad kids. So I never looked at children in stores and said, oh, that's a bad kid. Right. But I knew there was something different going on and I didn't know why. And I would 
often ask myself, is there something I'm missing here? That the reason why this child is acting this way and even more so, is it a reason why the parent is allowing it? Because we don't always have the answers to that, but now mm-hmm. we have the light has come on. So we have that moment to say, Hey, there's something else going on here. And when you can identify those behaviors, then it's easier for you to kind of just get around yeah. and, and move on with it. I like that identifying the behaviors. And yes, see what you said to that is figure out why that is and get, you know, to the root cause and work with it, not work against it, which is what we're all about here. Take the elevator. Yes. Yeah, do you have a couple of, of sentences um, <laughs> that you'd like to share with the audience as we wrap up Autism Awareness Month into Autism Acceptance? So Autism Acceptance is meeting an autistic person where they are and not expecting them to conform to social norms because that is alienating and robbing them of their unique excitement, joy, and contribution. Because if you're so focused on behaving a certain way, you can't focus on giving. It can be amazing. And there are times, like, absolutely, that you will not be happy. Like, my kid being fully clothed and climbing into the toilet to sit inside because that was soothing and comforting for him drove me nuts at the time. But now looking back, it's the sweetest memory I have of him climbing in there and sitting there with his little pacifier in his mouth and just looking around and happy at the world. It is one of my favorite pictures now. So hold on to those moments. They won't last forever. Beautifully said, Yessie. Thank you so much for being a part of this and sharing your life and your kids' lives with us. We really appreciate you and thank you. Well, you know us that take the elevator. We say look up and let's elevate. elevate.